0: Today, good. Good to see everyone. Um, so we're going to start it out with some fun stuff real quick. Um, my husband Omid and I—we've been doing the young adults for, I think, like six weeks already. Isn't that crazy? And uh, but our focus has really been here in the Holy Spirit. And uh, I felt when we started that the the core reason for our young adults group would be to have a weekly grounding in Holy Spirit's reality. And so we've been doing a lot of practical Holy Spirit things. So I've asked uh, one of the guys to come up, Kyle. Uh, Kyle's one of our awesome, he's actually one of our high school seniors. And uh, he's just, he's asked the Holy Spirit for a word for somebody here in the room. And he's just going to minister whatever Holy Spirit gave him. And uh, you guys are going to be encouraged.
1: Yeah. Okay, so... I kind of have a word, it's a little shaky, but I feel like whenever I start giving it, it'll become clearer. So is there anybody in this room who maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, has broken a corner of a picture frame with a football? Okay, scratch that. (laughs) Um, Does anybody here know someone that works in oil or they work around the oil industry themselves? Okay, a couple. Do any of you actually work in oil? Your son? Okay. Maybe it's for a couple people. Should they come up? Okay, so what I feel like God is saying to your sons is that in their work, he's about to open up new opportunities that haven't existed for them before. He's about to give them ways to be successful that they haven't been able to do. And they're going to see... New areas to be able to minister to other people, and he 's just going to fill their lives with blessings blessings of success and work and he 's going to give them favor in what they do he's a uh, he's but he's reminding them to keep grounded in their faith and all that they do just remember him and he's going to reciprocate that back into their lives and back into the people around them and people are going to look at them and they're going to see success and they're going to come up to them and be attracted to them and wonder what that success is coming from yeah
0: yeah that's it So that, that means something to you guys? Yeah. That yeah. Okay, awesome. Cool, thanks Kyle. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. All right, thanks for taking the risk on the football word too. All right. We like to celebrate uh, risk around here. We're getting better at that too and, and just uh, learning to hear Holy Spirit, so. Okay, so I'm sure you guys haven't forgotten today is our first service that we're going to end early on, right? So we're going to end here at 1130. Um, so if we end up crash landing at 1130, let's just enjoy the ride together and have a good time. Okay, so, <laughs> so because of time, I'm just going to skip introductions and we're going to go right into the meat of the word today. Um, the, the title of today's message is Loving Well, The Obedience of Honor. So let's start out in Ephesians 6. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. In verse 1, it's addressing children and parents. It says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. Now, how many of you guys have parents? Right. Um, has anyone noticed that since Adam, there's no person in all of mankind who doesn't have two parents, right? just doesn't work without two parents. So um, even if you don't know your parents, every single person in this room has the DNA of a man and a woman flowing through them. And so you have two people who you are commanded to honor, okay? Um, and also you may have extras. You may have steps or spiritual parents um, who you can Uh, Who fill that role in your life who would also be recipients of this honor Okay, so what I want to point out here um, Is it says children obey your parents because you belong to the lord So as a child my job is to obey The next verse just says honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with the promise So as a child, I will obey as a son or daughter. I will honor so, uh, when, I become, when I became an adult and I moved out of my parents' house, I no longer had the, the. I didn't have to obey them per se, but I will always honor them. I'm going to honor my parents till the day I die. And I assume I'll probably honor them in heaven as well, right? So, this command is for every person in this room to honor father and mother. Okay, now, now the, the second thing I want to point out. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. So this verse, right off the bat, it gives us the why to why we honor parents. So the why is, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Now in the why, it's not, the the parents aren't even mentioned, right? The because is because you belong to the Lord, right? So there's no... Um, exceptions or anything based on the parent's behavior, it's only because you belong to the Lord. Now we know in verse 4, it's talking to the fathers, telling them to not provoke your children to anger in how you treat them and stuff like that. But those two statements are separate, and it's God talking to to, to two separate relationships. He's addressing the children, and then he's addressing the fathers, right? So there's no if, there's no Children, obey your parents if the fathers do not provoke your children to anger, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so it says, children, obey your parents. Does it say, obey your parents if they're Christians? Nope. Obey your parents if they're making the right decision? Nope. Obey your parents if they're perfect? Nope. Okay. (laughs) The kids are like, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) and so so when I gave my life to the Lord at just days before my 17th birthday at that point I was the only Christian in my house and God showed me that this command was the same for me as it was for the kid who'd grown up in the Christian home and so my job as a child of God was to obey and honor my parents and it still is God's command to me to honor them So the reason you obey and honor your parents is because of your relationship with Jesus. So next it says, for this is the right thing to do. Again, there's no conditions. There's no mention of the parent's conduct or attitude. The command is to you, telling you it's the right thing to do. So the obedience of honor is an expression of identity. I honor because I belong to him. So let's move forward in Ephesians 6 real quick and look at... Um, Ephesians 6 actually covers several relationships, not just children and parents. And in uh, verse 5, it's talking to slaves. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Um, The Amplified says, with respect for authority. So fear there would not be, um, you know, being afraid. It would be the same way we fear God, which is a respect and awe for who they are as parents or as uh, masters. It says, Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Amplified on that says, do this as service to Christ. So as you're serving them, you're actually serving Christ. It says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. And we're as we're reading this, we know that this, these, this uh, section of verses is actually the will of God for us. So work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do whether we are slaves or free. So the obedience of honor is also an expression of worship to God. So I will deeply honor God by honoring my parents as he commanded me to. So, so as a young teenager, you might think, well, I'm the Christian, and so obviously God wants me to go to this youth thing, right? But if my parents didn't want me to go to that, I was actually obeying God by obeying my parents, even if they didn't know what God's will was for my life at that moment, right? I can trust God enough that he can lead me through even parents who don't know him, right? And so back to the beginning, my job was to obey. And that's the only thing God was requiring of me. Okay, so back to verse 2, back to father and mother. It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. Now, this is the, the first if in this whole section, right? It, and this is the only conditional statement, meaning it's subject to one or more requirements being met. So if you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, right? Um, and again, there's no condition on how the parents are acting. The if to me says that if you don't honor father and mother, then you won't get the benefits of things going well for you and living a long life on the earth. Now, the if is not God punishing us or being mad at us. He's actually protecting us, and he's given us a heads up that there's a spiritual law in place that's as real as the physical law of gravity, right? And so if we violate that spiritual law of honoring parents, then we're going to be reaping those consequences, whether we're aware of the law or not, right? Right? So it would be the same as jumping out of uh, an airplane without a parachute, right? If you do that, there's going to be consequences, and it's not God being mad at you, right? So, But if you were to have a parachute, just for the adrenaline people out there, you could jump out of the airplane with the parachute, enjoy the ride that is only possible in the presence of the law of gravity, right? And enjoy that ride with the safety of the parachute, and the protection of that prayer sheet provides, right? And so God set these things up for our good, and and if we uh, walk in them, then we get to reap the benefits that are only possible with the presence of that law in place. You guys doing okay? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so we know that God is a good father, and he never wants his kids to be hurt or in pain. We know that his will for on earth is revealed as it is in heaven, and we know that there's no sickness in, in heaven, right? So we know that God's will for us is good. It's, it's for, for our health. Um, so, so don't freak out if you haven't been honoring your parents, right? Don't, like, rock in the fetal position and wait for the lightning strike if things not going well for you. Um, it's going to be okay. <laughs> the good news is we're New Testament people, and, and there's some good promises. So if you haven't honored your parents lately, there's good news. First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a good word, right? So what if I keep messing up? Well, if I keep messing up, I generally go here <laughs> to Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen. says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, but he was without sin. Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and to find grace to help us in our time of need. That's another good word right there. So if you haven't been honoring your parents, turn to God, ask for forgiveness, receive his forgiveness, and receive his grace to start honoring and walking that out as he commanded. Okay, now while we're in Hebrews 4, let's look at Jesus. Now this is something that we talked about briefly, I think it was a few months ago when I spoke on forgiveness, you guys remember that? Um, We talked about how Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, but he was without sins. Uh, The New Living said he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So um, I said this before, but I feel like it's important and applicable to this message as well, so we're going to touch it briefly, okay? You guys okay with a little repeat? So if Jesus was tempted in every way that I am, but he was without sin, how is it possible for Jesus to relate to me? And we know that Jesus had decent parents, right? His parents loved God. They, we talked about last time, they went and looked for him when he was lost in the temple. And, uh, you know, I think negligent parents probably wouldn't go look for their kid, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so he had decent parents who were trying to follow God, right? Um, so how is it possible, and Jesus' parents were together, as far as we know, they weren't divorced, right? So how is it possible for Jesus to be my high priest and to empathize with my weakness if I had divorced parents and his were together, unless the temptation is actually separate from your circumstance. So the temptation to not honor parents is actually the same for every human being, regardless of circumstance, regardless of the parent's behavior. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. The New Living says the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the challenge of honoring and obeying parents is the same for the orphan as it is for the pastor's kid, for the divorced and the non-divorced family, for the abused and the nurtured child, For people with living parents and those whose parents have passed away. The command to honor is the same for everyone. Because remember the why, the because we honor is because we belong to the Lord. It has to do with your relationship with God. It's an expression of your relationship with God. Now, this is very important. If you are in a physically abusive situation or a dangerous situation or even a, um, a relationship that needs some boundaries... Honoring does not mean you have to stay in that situation. You can honor from afar because honor is actually a position of your heart towards that person. And I, I would propose to you that honor true honor is impossible without forgiveness. You can only honor people if you're able to fully release them to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So, and again, I would recommend go listen to that message on forgiveness because we talked a lot about that. And also, obviously having abusive parents is not God's best, nor is it his will for your life. But whatever situation you are in, he's going to provide grace for you to obey him, and he's going to provide the protection you need as you honor him. We all, we all uh, experience a level of imper- imperfection because of the choices of, of others, right? And that's not always God's best. But even in that, we can obey. Okay. So with that in mind, like we said, it's just as hard for the kid with good parents to obey the command of honor as is the kid with bad parents, right? So if that's the case, then I need to say don't fall into the trap of comparison. So if, let's say your dad is abusive and alcoholic or is even absent, right? You may look at your friend who has a good dad, or maybe a seemingly perfect dad, and you may say, wow, it's impossible for me to honor him. It's, I can't honor my dad, but it's probably pretty easy for you to honor your dad, right? Has anyone ever felt that? So the trap of comparison creates an illusion that you are exempt from obedience. But the truth is that temptation is the same for everyone. Do not disqualify yourself from obeying God because of your circumstances. Do not disqualify yourself because it seems harder for you than it is for others. And um, so the truth is, choosing honor is just as hard for everyone. We all must choose grace, and we all must choose to obey God. It's actually a choice. So there's a good story that highlights what Jesus says about comparison, and it's in John 21. Um, This is the section where Jesus reinstates Peter, and it's where Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. So that all just happened, okay? So, verse 18 through 22, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper, blah, blah. We know that's John, right? Okay. (laughs) So when Peter saw him, saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Okay, so we have this, this picture. Peter is having this intimate conversation with resurrected Jesus. Okay, he's walking with him. Um, Unless I missed one, this is the first interaction that Peter's had with Jesus since that pretty devastating moment when the rooster crowed, right? Remember that, when, like, Jesus looked at him, and he's like, dang it, I messed up, I'm so sorry. It's like all the movies had that look at Jesus, is like, Peter. (laughs) I have a feeling it was still saturated with love. Um, But anyway, so Peter... You would think he would be all ears to Jesus at this moment, right? He's getting the chance to to make up with Jesus and to work things out. So Jesus tells Peter about his future. And so Peter hears that, and I would imagine he's looking at Jesus, receiving that. But then he has to look away from Jesus and look at John. And then he says, what about him? And Jesus' reply to that is, if I choose to have John live forever, what is that to you? You follow me. So Jesus is telling Peter, all that matters is that you're faithful to do what I'm telling you to do, no matter what your life looks like compared to someone else's. You must follow me. So Jesus is like, no comparison. You and I are right here, and this is what I'm calling you to do, As you look at me and you follow me whatever I'm telling you to do whatever it looks like. Now, just a little bit of extra tidbit. Um, both Peter and John, I would say, were Jesus' closest friends when he walked the earth. So there's tons of, of times when it says, like, just Peter, James, and John, or just Peter and John went with Jesus. Um, I've got all these here. If you like the references later, I can give them to you. Um, but the Transfiguration, healing the 12-year-old girl, Passover preparations, and, uh guess, them, guess, Simony, the garden that garden with three syllable name <clears throat> so and and all of these things were pretty intimate moments for Jesus, right, especially the garden one, and so I would say he would probably only bring his closest friends into those intimate moments, right, and so you may look at these two futures, Peter's where he was going to die to glorify God, and then John where he Uh, supposedly would live forever. And you might say, well, maybe Jesus just loves John more. But the reality is both of these men were really close to Jesus. And so from that, we can see that it's not a matter of Jesus loving them more. It's just his plan for that man, right? And as long as they stay looking at Jesus, it doesn't really matter what the other guy's doing anyway, right? You're not going to see the other and think that you're getting ripped off. Does that make sense? Also, we see later in Acts how both men had crazy powerful, multi-generation impacting ministries, and they're used very powerfully by God. So both of those men um, use mightily. So do you ever look at someone else's life compared to your own and think God must love or even like them even more? Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) Well, in response to that, I would say one day all that will matter is that you follow Jesus when he said, come. So, someday all that will matter is that you obeyed God. You will give an account. You will not give an account for your parents' actions. You won't give account for your friends' actions. You'll give account for your actions. Someday when you stand before Jesus. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. It says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad." So as I follow and do the work that he gave me to do, not that he gave someone else, I'm going to bring glory to God on the earth. In John 17, 4, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he said, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, if Jesus himself is saying, I did the work the Father gave me to do, don't you think that that should be our focus as well? That we can't be distracted by comparison, that, that God has work for us to do. Hebrews twelve one through 3, I'm not going to read through that, but that's the verse that talks about run with endurance, the race marked out for you. Well, there's a race marked out for you to run. So run the race marked out for, for you, not for someone else. We accomplish this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So remember, the only time Peter could see John was when he looked away from Jesus. Okay, so now let's talk about what does honor look like. We're talking about the obedience of honor. Um, I'm not going to give you a 10-point list today of what honoring people looks like, but I'm going to share more about what the heart of honor is. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, this is where we started. This is the, I'm going to read out the Amplified Version this time. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is, accept their guidance and discipline as his representatives. For this is right, for obedience teaches wisdom and self discipline. Honor, esteem and value as precious your father and your mother, and be respectful to them. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that you may so that it may be well with you, and that you may have a long life on the earth. So the Greek word for honor in Ephesians six two is the same word for several passages that talks about honoring God. The word means to estimate to fix the value to um for the value of something belonging to oneself, or to honor, to revere, and to venerate. So, just going back up into that verse, it says, esteem and value as precious. So, when we're choosing to honor people, we are placing a value on people. Actually, I would say we put value on people no matter whether we're honoring them or not, right? (laughs) So, really, it's a decision on what value you're choosing to put on a person. And so, to, to honor is to esteem and value as precious. Well, what is the value that God placed on every human being? The life of Jesus. Right. So when we honor, we're choosing to place the value of the life of Jesus on that person. We're choosing to, um, to forgive. And like we talked about before, forgiveness is accepting the power of the cross. It's accepting the justice that was only purchased on the cross. We can never obtain justice on our own. And so when we choose to honor, we're believing that the cross took care of every sin that that person um, has done or ever will do. And we're choosing to honor them and esteem them as precious as the life of Jesus. Okay. So uh, that word for honor, like we were saying, also means to revere and to venerate, if if I'm saying that correctly. Um, and venerate means regard with respect, great respect, revere, and worship. And when I saw the word worship, it hit me that honoring father and mother is so critical because it directly affects how we view our relationship with our heavenly father God. So there's a reason that it's the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. Now we know. That God's will for us is for it to go well, right? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven his plans are for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope, right? So when we, we agree with God and we step into his will for us by obeying him, by choosing to honor. If we do not honor our earthly parents, how can we know how to honor God? 1 John four twenty says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, his brother, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So if you can receive grace and choose to honor imperfect earthly parents, don't you think you'll be able to honor your father in heaven and know how to do that? Now, I'd like to point out that, you know, one of those words was worship. Now, I don't think you need to follow your dad around and turn on good, good father um, follow your dad around the house and lift your hands to him. <laughs> He's like, leave me alone, kid. That's weird. <laughs> but, but really, worship is just a position of the heart, and it's choosing to put them in that place of honor, whether they deserve it or not, right? You're, you're um, esteeming them and valuing them as the life of Jesus. Okay. Okay. We got 20 minutes. We're doing awesome. Okay, now Jesus himself said in John 8 49, I honor my father. So that's encouraging, right? If Jesus did it, then we can do it too. I believe God set it up for us to honor our parents in order to represent how we honor God as father. Okay, now let's move into honor is a gift. So there's a type of honor that's earned. Uh, For instance, an Olympic athlete receives a medal because of their achievement, right? Or let's say we honor a soldier because of a sacrifice, right? That type of honor is earned. But there's also a type of honor that's a gift. And I believe that the type of honor God is requiring us can only be given as a gift. So how is it possible to honor people when they don't deserve it? God commands all of us to honor our father and mother, no conditions, no exemptions. So how is that possible? Let's look at Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You'll always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap the harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, when we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Another good verse on giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. Okay, so let's talk about giving in general, and then we're going to tie it back into giving honor. Okay. So I came to a point not too long ago where I realized that my my giving had become grudgingly, if that's even correct grammar. Um, But I knew that God loved a cheerful giver. But honestly, I was tired. I was really tired. Um, I was tired of giving of myself and my time and my resources, and it and it was kind of becoming a point of anger because I felt like I hadn't seen a return in a while. And it wasn't just in giving to church things. It was in um, relationships at home and stuff like that. And honestly, the biggest one um, was with our our kids and uh, just being open and honest with you. So they're uh, my stepdaughters. And so I was doing a lot to pour into them and even doing extra stuff, you know. And, um, and we're still kind of in the season, but... Uh, it was kind of amplified because it was more sacrificial because we were in this financial place and paying for baby, you know, stuff and all this. And so, so the giving was actually felt even more sacrificial than usual. Does that make sense? Anyways, so, so we're scraping money to buy food, for example, and standing on my uh, marshmallow feet, cooking the food and not really wanting to, but (laughs) But I'm going to pour and love these girls. I'm going to make them a meal that they'll enjoy. And I purposely, like, try to make food that they like, you know. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, several times we make the food, and the kids start complaining and whining about the food and stuff. And, you know, just being real, I was pretty hurt, you know. I was like, Dad, it! I just pour it into this, and you're not even accepting it, you know. It, it kind of felt like people were, you know, they were spitting on my gift. Has anyone ever felt that before? Okay, good. I feel so much better. <laughs> um, and that's just a little example. You know, I've done elaborate birthday parties, and then, like, an hour after the party, they're whining that they didn't get something. And I'm just like, ah, oh, love the child. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to leave the room and go throw something. <laughs> So anyway, this is, this is the reel of where I, I, I was at, and I'm still working through this. But I went to the Lord, I was like, God, I don't want to be a grudgingly giver, a grudging giver, whatever the grammar is. <laughs> I was like, God, I don't want to be that cheerful giver again, you know? And so so I went to the Word and I asked him to help me and show me, um, show me how to get my cheerful giver back. And and so I started reading uh, those verses that we just read on giving, and then I read through 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, and that's a super long passage, and we're not going to read through that. But, but it talks about um, giving as sowing, right, and sowing and reaping and how God provides seed to the sower and bread for food and, and all this stuff. And I had this realization that a cheerful giver freely gives to the receiver as though they will never receive anything back from that person, not even appreciation, then looks to God for the return. And then I realized that Jesus is the perfect example of this for us. Because how many of you know that Jesus gave a gift that we could never repay? So there's this verse um, in Second Corinthians 9.9. 9, it says, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So how many of you know the poor cannot give anything back? They are completely incapable of giving you any return for your gift. And we know in Romans 5, 7 through 8, that it says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. That God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus gave his greatest gift to us when we were at our very worst, when we were at our poorest state, completely incapable of giving him anything back. So Jesus looked to the Father for the harvest, and he looked to the Father for the return. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Always. You will always harvest what you plant. So our gifts, no matter what it looks like, if it's a financial gift, if it's the gift of honor, if it's pouring into our kids, our gifts must be given as permanently as placing a seed in the dark ground. You have to release that seed fully, then look to God for the return. And his harvest is always multiplied in proportions of what you sowed. So First Corinthians 3.6 says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God caused the increase, right? So when we release that seed, we're releasing it fully to trust God. You know, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I just had this funny picture of um, this is my precious seed, right? This is, like, the only one I have right now. So I'm going to give it. I'm just going to put it in the ground. I'm not letting go of this, though. I am staying right here. <laughs> it gets dark, you know. Like the owls are out hooting. Morning comes. I'm, like, you know, drenched in the dew of heaven. I'm, like, this is not fun at all. Has anyone ever done that with their gift, though? They're just holding it there in the ground. How many of you know you can't get a return if you're holding your seed in the ground? (laughs) You can't have a very fun life either. (laughs) You're kind of stuck there. Right. So sometimes we have to give extremely sacrificially. We have to give that one seed extremely sacrificially. But we can do it and release it fully, expecting God will give the return and that his return is always multiplied. You may sacrificially release one seed, but you're going to get a thousand back. Right? That's good news right there. So a true gift expects no return from the, simpri- from the recipient. If you got a return for what you gave, it would actually be a purchase. Right? If you made an exchange with that person, it would be a purchase. That we can actually give and look to God for that return. Okay, um, the word forgiver in uh, one of those verses, I can't remember, is, um, is bestower. And when I heard that, it really kind of shifted my perspective on giving, when, when we are bestowers. And so, from a place of identity, remember we do this because we belong to God, we can become bestowers of honor who release the gift fully even to people who don't deserve it, and we look to the Father for the return. We are free to bestow honor on anyone, regardless of their past or present behavior. Jesus gave to undeserving people because he knew the return came from the Father. He was free to give because his motivation was love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others... I would have gained nothing. So loving well is honoring well. The next verses in first Corinthians, we all know that we could probably quote it. It says love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy, doesn't boast all that. It's, it's describing love, right? And then the next verse is going to talking about how love will continue on into eternity. So love is eternal and choosing love is actually partnering with an eternal perspective, So the obedience of honor is a tangible expression of your heart towards, pe- towards God. The gift of honor is a tangible expression of God's heart towards people. I'm going to say that again. The obedience of honor is a tangible expression of your heart toward God. The gift of honor is a tangible expression of God's heart toward people. When we give out of obedience, we're saying, I'm honoring God by honoring people. When we give that gift, we're giving the same as Jesus did. And we are actually representing his sacrifice on the earth because we're applying it into people's lives. Because when we give sacrificially when they don't deserve it, there's power in that. There's great power in it. Both the obedience and gift of honor are both worship, and they both must be fueled by love. And people who love well, honor well. 11.21. Yes. Yes. So, would you guys stand real quick? It's okay if we pray, Pastor CJ? Yeah. Did you guys receive anything today? Yeah? Good. All right, let's just pray super fast. (laughs) I, I got eight minutes. Let's milk this gracious Heavenly Father. We are gathered here today. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, Daddy, we love you so much. And you are such a good father. And thank you so much that you gave when we couldn't pay you back anything. And so we receive right now your grace to be just like you. And then we get to honor you in honoring the parents that you gave us. And so we receive your grace to fully forgive them, to embrace the power of the cross at work in their lives. And we just receive your grace to truly honor people. And God, we thank you that honor is a vessel for your love to flow through. And so we just thank you that we will be people of honor, we will be people of love, and we will powerfully impact those around us as we give generously like you do. In Jesus' name, amen. That was super fast.
1: Amen. Wasn't that good? It was awesome, wasn't it? And see, those of you who didn't believe we could finish before 1130, see? I don't expect that next. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. No, but uh, anyway, uh, remember 2 p.m. We'll have our, uh, the homegoing service for Teresa Barnes. And if you would, again, park in the back, uh, us younger ones. Uh, we want to save room for our, our guest and, and our senior saints so they don't have to worry about the stairs. All right? You guys have a great afternoon and a blessed week, and we'll see you soon.